Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode two. <laughs> Saying these numbers one at a time is very depressing. Welcome to episode two of Metal Brow Madness, an exercise in cinematic hubris, or a podcast of cinematic hubris. One of those. We'll decide on one eventually. My name is Derek Gane. I'm Michelle Arf. I did it right this time. And uh, we come to you with two new matchups of the first round of this uh, just Sisyphean task we've signed ourselves up for, <laughs> Michelle. This is what Kamu was writing about when he was writing um, his essays. Oh, Lord. So, we have two We very... are the absurd man, and we must roll the hill, the, the boulder of Kevin Spacey up the hill and deal with that <sighs> fucking problem. But anyways, what, what movies are we talking about, Derek? We are talking... Uh, these are our two matchups for today. We've got LA Confidential. Actually, you know what? I should probably pull up the, uh, the relevant pages here, because I say, like, the years and shit. Directed by uh, Curtis Hansen from 1997. Uh, facing off against... The Wolf of Wall Street, directed by Martin Scorsese, released in 2013. And our second matchup is Seven, directed by David Fincher, released in 1995. And Paper Moon, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, released in 1973. It's our first movie from the 70s. So, you want to get into this? (laughs) Sure. So, this is something we're going to have to confront a lot, because the IMDb list is full of a lot of horrible people. That's a lot and, of human shit stains. Um, one of those horrible people is Kevin Spacey. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which, for First people who build. aren't aware, I should just, like, we should just say quickly. So Kevin Spacey um, has been accused, I shouldn't say, I should say for our legal benefit, has been accused of um, sexual assault um, of both adults and minors as well. Yay. And... and, oh. <laughs> and this is something that was a pretty open secret for much of for much of the 2000s. Like, I was aware of it, even though I am nowhere near Hollywood. And somehow everyone in Hollywood said they never knew about it, and it was fine. And, oh crap, now we have to, like, recast him in all the money in the world and spend millions of dollars on reshoots because we didn't think of this beforehand. But we can't reshoot LA Confidential, can we, Derek? We, we can't. I mean, we could probably remake it. But, yeah. uh... But would you... What's the point? There's a, there's a lot of neo noirs out there. There are. There's quite a few, and quite a few of them written by James Elroy. Yeah, or at least based off of James Elroy novels, I should say. Yeah, this is a uh, Ryan Helgeland joint. I think that's how you pronounce his name. The, the issue we were running into is when we judge LA Confidential, and we're going to talk about the movie a little bit more in detail, a little bit more of the artisticness behind it. We're going to have to come up with this a lot. Like, how much does Kevin Spacey's own awfulness? detract from the movie's A, the movie's artistry, and B, our enjoyment of the movie. Because I think those are two separate things, but at the same time, I don't know how much I can disentwine them, I guess is the phrase. I mean... And it should say, like, everyone has different... Even people who, like, do care about the stuff. I'm not talking about people who just dismiss it, like, oh, it doesn't matter. There's plenty of people who do care about this, and just different things matter differently to you. For example, like, 
I can watch a Klaus Kinski film and not feel super gross, even though he was also a terrible human being. Bad man. Yeah, and I can also watch some other movies that have terrible people in it, but I don't feel as weird as other people. So what we're saying here is not like a definitive take. It's more just our impressions on it and what it feels like watching the movie. And I will say it didn't feel that strange to me, except for the fact that he's supposed to be the hero in the end. Like well, him, him, Kevin Spacey being skeezy, I'm fine with. <laughs> but as soon as like he starts, because I feel like I think you might or uh, might disagree with this, but I think by the end of his arc, he's at least improved as a character. I don't know. I'm kind of of the opinion that like the like this is kind of a repeat of a clockwork orange for me and that all the characters are shit heels even though some of them are like painted has as a heroic like guy pierce is for most of the film or if they're like just outright heels like um spoiler alert uh, james cromwell that's the i think that's one of the big issues i have with the film is the fact that i think it wants me to like bud white i think it wants who's russell crowe's character i think it russell wants Crow. me to like ed exley who is guy pierce I think it kind of wants me to like Jack uh, Vincennes, I think is how you pronounce his name, which is played by Kevin Spacey, and I don't. They're, like, all awful. I don't like being... I mean, I like they're interesting. I think they're all played pretty well, Mm -hmm. but I also think that being with them isn't fun, and I don't actually like any of them. So by the time the movie ends, I don't really... I'm not caring what's happening. I like that the plot machinations are happening, and I'm sounding a lot down on this movie. I like this movie. It was perfectly fine, but... There's a lot of stuff in this movie that should just be fucking excised. It's not It's not worth it. I think the whole Bud White plotline is not worth it. Uh, man, you got Russell Crowe, known, known, known man of a violent temper, just beating the shit out of everything with two legs in this movie. Yeah. And, uh, God, and, like, I was, le- I mean, this may also, or may you not. Have, just, as a, this isn't a serious side note, but as a side note, James Cromwell doing a fucking weird accent that I literally had to, like, stop and ask you, is James Cromwell doing an accent? What is he doing? And I didn't realize that till I was, like, 30 minutes from the end of the film. Yeah, he's doing, like, a weird American-Irish, like, a, like almost like a I Chicago like James accent. Cromwell. I enjoy James Cromwell. I think he's a great actor. But at the same time, there's a lot of choices in this movie that are really strange. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned this. Uh, in the Slack, very briefly, but I'm kind of powerless against like neo noir James Elroy type stories. I know, I know, like on the surface of it, it's like, oh, it's like these are like fucking terrible people and cops and this and that. But that mode of storytelling, I'm just kind of into. What I'm not as into now is the Kevin Spacey shtick, and I don't know if that's necessarily because of all the shit that came to light about him. I think he's an actor of a limited range. In- incredibly limited that's one thing even like before he was disgraced actor kevin spacey sure i never really enjoyed him particularly well um because we'll get to seven i think he does the same thing kind of every movie basically your mileage may vary and it's not every actor who does that is bad i think there's plenty of actors who have the one thing they do when they're great at it i think arlie ermy was one of those guys sure. he did one thing and he did it very well and he actually oh, I, he was in seven i just whoa look at that yeah he uh, was yeah, Don Knotts, the, the incredible Mr. Olympic himself. There's No one else could have played that, but also that's the only thing he can play. But at the same time, it's distracting a little bit for me for Spacey, because Spacey plays a lot of different kinds of characters, but they're all the same guy. Yeah. I also, uh, I like I, I like a Los Angeles movie. Like, it's a very photogenic city. It's very well shot. I think that, I, I keep coming back to, like, I, I, I like the pulpiness of it. I it's, mean, it's very, like, lurid. In a way it's that I, I mean that positively. Like the fact that one of the key plot points of this movie is that there's 
there's sex workers who have plastic surgery to be made to look more like Hollywood actresses. Very That's outrageous. such a weird thing, but it's so pulpy, but it's it's an enjoyable little odd touch that you don't usually see in these kinds of movies. And I really like Guy Pierce in this movie. I'm kind of I'm kind of sad that he didn't have like a bigger moment in his prime. And now he's like, oh, now he's like the dude who did Lockout a few years back. Another movie I liked, incidentally. But I don't think he had like a bigger... I, I'm kind of sad he didn't have a bigger moment. Good American accent, too. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he was really good in The Rover, if you've never seen that. I have not. It's him and Robert Pattinson. Great. Ooh. Two great actors doing doing very good work. Um, one thing I will say about this movie that doesn't work for me, that I'm interested to hear from you, the tone never worked for me. It was both too serious and too goofy at the same time. Like, all the Danny DeVito bits are so goofy, and it's also partially because I like Danny DeVito as an actor a lot, but in my mind, he is now kind of, uh, he is Frank from It's Always Sunny forever. Sure, that is sure. him. And when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, he's doing, it's Frank doing a bit. I don't really know what's going on here. And it's also very, it's the same kind of lurid, it's the same kind of like uh, trashy, pulpy thing, but it feels a lot higher register and a lot less serious than the rest of the movie wants to play it. So far as I saw it, the it's definitely heightened. I'm definitely agreeing with that, but I think it was all of a piece. Like I, I think it, I think it was uh, worked together more. And I don't have that uh, Devito bias because I have seen a grand total of zero episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's a fun show. That's all. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> it's also a, a problematic show. Let's hashtag say, but problematic. I think there's, yes, there's some very good episodes of it. I do want to. I don't want to cut us off too much, but we have like a minute left to talk about LA Confidential, so I'm just going to hand it over to you. I think this movie fucks still to use the parlance <laughs> okay. of our times. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's been sullied, obviously. It doesn't fuck as hard to continue the parlance of our times. But I, I still think like it's a really good movie. I don't like parlance anymore. I don't like being in these times. It's, it's, a, it's a much tougher watch. It starts literally with Russell Crowe pinning a guy for CSA and then smash cut to Kevin Spacey. God, yeah. That did not age well. <laughs> but you know what other movie fucks? Oh, does it fuck? The Wolf of Wall Street is the fuckingest movie released in recent memory. It fucks and it wear it's it's got the big gold belt of curse words around its waist. And it's, it's fucking long. It's three hours long. And the first two times I watched it, I will say this is my third time seeing it. First two times didn't feel that length. This third time I did. How many times have you seen it? This is my second time seeing it. And I think I only felt the length of it because I started watching it at eleven thirty at night. Which is a yeah, bad idea. Help. That reminds me I've multiple times uh Thought to myself, oh, I should rewatch The Master. It's midnight. I can rewatch The Master, right? And then it's 3 a.m. I don't want night. to watch The Master anymore. <laughs> we were talking about movies in a high register. This movie starts at like a 9 and doesn't let up. It starts at a 9 and then it sustains itself at like a 12. Yeah. It is constantly churning out new things, churning out jokes, churning out bits, churning out swears new inventive swears new inventive profanity and uh sexuality and like strange drug use and i do want to say i have some sympathy for the critics and there are a few who have said that it i don't want to say that it glorifies the characters but that it doesn't actually critique them as much as other people think it does i think there i have some sympathy for that at the same time it's it's this weird combination and i think it's the same thing we're going to come with a lot of imdb movies on this list is it's it's very fun and I don't think it's supposed to be as in fun in the way other people think it's fun. Yeah, I think it's like formally fun, like in terms of performance, in terms of uh, uh, tone, stylistic choices. I don't think it's fun because this dude's making money and doing blow in like 17 ways, only 12 of which are known to man. 
But I think that's that's the that's the appeal for a lot of people. I think that's the appeal for a lot of seeing people. Seeing that and also seeing the excess goes also to the filmmaking as well. Like there's that one shot, the first time you see Margot Robbie naked in this movie is the most like boner shot to end all boner shots. And I feel bad for Margot Robbie in this movie, not for like any particular she is a really good actress. I think she's Great really actress. good at her things. She doesn't really act in this movie. She's very attractive and she's incredibly good at being attractive, but she doesn't really have anything to do. And it's kind of it feels it makes sense with the character and it makes sense with where the movie goes or what the movie's trying to say, but at the same time it's disappointing to like have a great actress and not do anything with her. Yeah, I mean this is the Leo show. I mean, like even like even like Jonah Hill and Cal Chandler, Rob Reiner and like there's a lot of great actors in this film and they're doing like interesting shit, but this is like this is let's watch Leo snort and fuck and swear and crawl around and drool and salivate and fuck more and do more drugs for three hours. Yeah, it's I'm generally kind of surprised that he didn't win for this movie. I would have preferred it. I think that this is a better performance than in The Revenants, which is a movie that I've 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 reviewed on Dim the House Lights. If you'd like to go to <laughs> read my review of that, but I think this movie is a lot uses his range a little bit more, or uses at very least his high register in a much better way. Yeah, I think I think what gets lost in the shuffle of the of the Leo should get an Oscar award and he's got his own now is that he is a really good actor. He's pretty versatile. He could play plays quiet, plays loud. Uh, good emotional range can be a petulant baby can be like gacked out on lewds and just be really really charming and i mean i don't i think i would call this a virtuoso performance yeah i think that that's a fair thing to say so i think this movie is good i gave it a four and a half when i first saw it and i think that's about where i'm going to stay here with it just because it doesn't let up it's fun even though it's, it's this thing about having fun with what you shouldn't be having fun with that you were talking about earlier. And I'm of the opinion that this movie, while it doesn't like actively, I, I don't think there's a lot of active critiquing going on in the filmmaking. And that kind of resides in the people actually watching the film. Like you bring your baggage to the movie, right? Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of the same problems with this movie that I had um, with The Hateful Eight, which I also wrote about on Dim the House Lights, if people would like to do that too. <laughs> but... um. In that, I think that the filmmaker, Martin Scorsese, he's a very smart filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. But I don't think he communicates that as... This is going to sound slightly snobby, but um, I don't mean it that way. But I don't think he communicates in a way that a blockbuster audience understands. I think he communicates in a way that like a certain cinephile audience understands or a certain um, kind of very cinema fan understands. And it's expecting you to read a lot of subtext into things the subtext is never brought out except for like one or two moments towards the end. But I feel like this movie is so consistently in the red and it doesn't do the thing when a movie is consistently in the red that it numbs you to what's going on. See, on my third watch, I did feel that. I think that's why like I went from four and a half and now I'm probably at a four star rating because it did start to feel numbing my third time through. Although it's a testament to this movie that this is the third time I've watched a three hour long movie. Yeah, you've you've spent nine hours with this movie. That's a lot to time. That's a lot of time to spend with this kind of movie. It is, and it's it's generally good company, but it's not as good a comp. It's I'm it's wearing out. It's welcome. Let's say that. Okay, I I can kind of agree with that, but I'm sure if I watched that movie and I started at like three in the afternoon on a Saturday, I would feel a lot better about it. <laughs> okay, um, so I think it's time for us to make a, des- a decision between these two films, which is the winner. I'm feeling. Can I guess which one you're going for? It's going to be a tough call. 
Because I like both I, these movies. I have a feeling your heart is going to say LA Confidential. I have to go. I think I'm going to go Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. That makes my life easy because I was going to go Wolf of Wall Street. I still think LA Confidential is a very good movie. It's not the five star opus I once thought it was, but it's still really good. And I, I, again, this is like the same thing uh, as uh, going back to Cool Hand Luke versus Clockwork Orange. The filmmaking style goes a long way. Oh, yeah, definitely. No shade to Curtis Hansen. That movie is handsome as shit. But no shade to Curtis Hansen. But can you name another Curtis Hansen movie? I uh, fucking can't. Like I've never, I've never heard his name before you said it. His uh, didn't he do like Wonder Boys and Eight Mile and shit? Oh, I think he did Eight Mile. You're right. That classic film, Eight Mile, <laughs> with everyone's favorite grandpa rapper. Yes. Oh. <laughs> now he's been around the block. He's done good movies, but he's kind of like a kind of like a George Roy Hill, right? Whereas Scorsese is like a legend. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say in LA um, Confidential's defense, if you've ever seen the movie um, Los Angeles Plays Itself, which is one of my favorite documentaries ever, they discuss the movie pretty well in depth, and I'm happy to have seen it. And I kind of want to go rewatch um, Los Angeles Plays Itself to like really understand those parts even more now. Yeah, I've been that thing's been on my watch list as long as I've had a watch list. <laughs> It's fucking incredible. That that's our we don't do recommendations on this podcast, but if you haven't seen uh, Los Angeles Plays itself, I think it's the best movie about movies I, that exists. It's high praise. The next two movies we're talking about are a little self-aware in their own particular ways. One of them is Paper Moon, 1973's Peter Bogdanovich joint, mm-hmm. starring Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill and Madeline Kahn, and two of whom were nominated for Oscars. One of whom won. And then uh, we also have Seven, uh, that's directed by the legendary David Fincher, or everyone's favorite David Fincher. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, from 1995, should I even, uh, I've, who's even in that? Morgan Freeman, Brad Brad Pitt. Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow, all the people. You've seen Seven. Everyone listening has seen Seven. And that human shit stained Kevin Spacey. <laughs> God, yeah. One thing I do want to bring up, I was, I was shocked, and I brought this up in the chat. I didn't think anyone had seen Paper Moon. It's a movie I knew about. I knew Tatum O'Neill was famous for, like, having... Been having still been the youngest person to ever win the best was it best supporting or best actress? I forget, but who was younger? It should, her it should or be Anna main Packwood? actress. Um, she was younger because Tatum O'Neill was on like ten or nine when she won. Was I it guess Anna Packwood, I think was like eleven or twelve. She won the Academy Award for best supporting actress. I uh, that's not correct. She, she's the lead actress, but either way. So, but I so why did you see this movie? I don't mean that like. I, that sounds a little accusatory, which is not meant to be, but like, I'm. What drew you to watching this movie in the first place? Uh, back when I was doing my BA, I held like screenings every now and again, and I wanted to watch The Last Picture Show, and I wanted to pair it up with something I hadn't seen before, so I went with Paper Moon. I just kind of like, I just kind of like lucked into it. Okay. Um, and, which, for people who don't know, The Last Picture Show is also Peter Bogdanovich. Yes. I fell in love with it then, it still fucking rules now. <laughs> Okay, what what rules about it? I think I, I think it's a very sweet film. I think uh, the interplay between the O'Neills... Saccharin, almost. Yes, I guess you could say saccharin, but I just thought it was very sweet. And uh, I, I, I do legitimately like the performance of the O'Neills. Uh, I'm kind of sad that Ryan O'Neill didn't have a bigger moment. Like, between 70 and 75, it felt like he could possibly have a moment. Like, between Love Story and uh, Barry Lyndon, it felt like Ryan O'Neill could be like like an all-timer, but it kind of just became like a pet project. And uh, I like the way the movie looks. I like how spare it is. I like that it's a movie that emulates kind of an older vernacular film without actually sort of uh, like sort of being the artist about it. 
like no no shade to the artist is a movie I actually like, but that's a movie that's kind of more heavy handed with its style, and I like how kind of low key this movie. I mean, I'll throw some shade on the artist. I think this is a much better movie than the artist. I think the artist is not a very good film. I mean, um, I, I, I mean, no, no argument for me. I think this movie is better than the artist. <laughs> but I still don't. I had a hard time seeing what everyone else sees me. For example, I think Tatum O'Neill is good. Oscar worthy is like absurd to me. There's there's moments where she's very good. Like I, there's a scene where she, um, it's nighttime and she like looks at herself in the bathroom mirror i think that scene she does a lot of great like face acting and wordless acting but then there's other parts where she's clearly just a child actor who doesn't know a lot about acting yet and that's not necessarily shade to her but also standards for child actors have grown a lot and i don't feel that today if you gave me this performance i would think it was particularly special I think it was maybe special for 1973 when all the child actors were terrible. Sure. But um, like now that there's actual like good child actors, it just didn't it didn't strike me as a lot. And just as like a tiny little nitpick, someone should have taught her how to smoke more convincingly because it's so obviously fake that it was a little bit distracting. But I mean, this is a movie I don't even know what to critique about because there was nothing I didn't there was nothing I disliked. There's sure. also nothing I really liked about it. It was a movie that was perfectly fine, and then it ended, and I'm happy to never watch it again. The one thing I will say, I really like Madeline Kahn in it, but I, that's also nice. She's very funny. I, re- I really like Madeline Kahn in general. Yeah, she's really fucking funny in this. Yeah. There was a point that um, I think Roger Ebert brought up, and he did a four-star review of this film. He, he loved it. And one of the things he really liked about it is the way that the the cinematography you do reference, like you've said, it kind of references older films, but it's also very stark. And yes, it's quite stark. That starkness of that cinematography contrasted with sweetness or saccharineness, depending on your opinion on the uh, on the subject, is an interesting mix. I don't think it gels all the time, but I think that there's something interesting there that other movies could definitely take and run with a little more. That's not something I've really seen before or since that I can think about. Also, like a like a. I like a, a a con comedy, a caper comedy. And I like that um, the cons progress with their relationship progressing. It's a well-written script. It all makes sense. I see where it's going sometimes a little too much where I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen next. Um, as much as I like Madeline Kahn in it, that little like intermission feels very strange to me in the movie. It feels a little bit like this isn't really what this movie is about. And I just want more of the Ryan O'Neill, Tatum O'Neill relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Again, like I said, there's nothing really objectionable about it. There's also nothing that I would consider ex- exceptional about it. I think it's a movie that, to me, it's it's greater than the sum of its parts. That's just the way it kind of shakes out for me. Okay. That, that's totally fair. That is a fair, fair assessment <laughs> of a film. I can't say anything against it. So Seven, then. Seven, a movie about some unfair things happening to some people. Or maybe fair things <laughs> if you're John Doe. Who knows? I've seen this movie a lot of times. I forgot how many times I've seen this movie because I definitely saw it when I was a kid. It was on TV a lot. I think it was like on TNT all the time, although with a lot of stuff cut out of it, obviously, because this is this is a gnarly movie at points. Yeah. But it almost was like weirdly comforting. It was like slipping into <laughs> like a movie that I've seen quite a few times before. Like, oh, I know how this goes. I know what the rhythm's like. And I liked it a lot more than I remembered. And I especially like the fact that I'm a little older. It's been a while since I've seen it. It feels a lot like an urban sister film to No Country for Old Men. Okay. Very, very similar, like themes, like that. That idea of an old, an old police officer. He's going to retire. He feels like the world's taking over, like taking over him. Like the evil in the world is too much for him. And him kind of finding 
not necessarily reasons why it isn't, but reasons why maybe it's still worth doing something to combat that. I don't know if that if that actually reads. It read to me when I was watching the film. This is where I tell you, dear audience, that Seven was the movie that I did not have time for due to okay. a bout of really bad time management. But I think also it was the one of the bunch that I had seen the most recently, because I don't do shit by halves except watching all of these movies. I kind of, because I've only seen this movie once, and I like it as like sort of a gritty gumshoe movie. Like I said before, I like me a neo-noir film, but there is kind of like, it's one of those movies that was part of like the cultural vernacular so much that I don't think I was dazzled by it as much. Like it didn't have like a history with it. And all I got was kind of a faint whiff of like 90s edgelord. Okay, I think this is where a little bit of our, um, what do you call it? Our differences in like viewpoints really comes up because this is a very similar film in style, or not style, but like genre, to LA Confidential. They're kind yes. of doing the same thing. But I don't like that old style noir. I don't have an affinity for it. It's sure. just like a thing that I like sometimes if it's good. I don't like if it's bad, but I don't have an affinity for it. Whereas I have a degree of affinity for a certain edgelord kind of posturing. And I, I don't think this movie is <laughs> as edgelord as you're saying. I think it's a lot smarter. I think it actually knows what it's trying to do. And I think there's a point to it, even though I think it is a little gratuitous at times. It's I think that goes along with the fact that I have a lot of affinity for it. I like the rain. I like weird gory sets i like torture porn movies i like that kind of aesthetic um like the super color weird color grading on the whole thing that's my little piece of comfort from it so it's like its own it's my version of uh the la confidential where there's a lot of things i don't think are perfect for it it also justifies police brutality in a mm -hmm. way which is a problem of all cop movies but certainly mm -hmm. exacerbated by both seven and la confidential but I can kind of look past those things pretty easily in Seven because the the whole of it just goes down very easily. Except for the last 20 minutes, which I forgot that the John Doe sequence was so long. It shouldn't be. Right. It should be like half as long. For I don't know if you even remember, but the John Doe sequence lasts like a long time. And they're in the car with him for a while. Yeah. And it should be it should be 10 minutes, get in and get out, and we know the whole thing. But it's because as soon as we know who John Doe is then the movie starts to unravel very quickly and you need to end it before it finishes unraveling. And I don't right. feel like the movie does that quickly enough. Oh man. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think this movie is dumb. I do want to point out that I don't think this movie is like kind of a, a knuckle dragging edgelord, if you will. I mean, this is a David Fincher film after all. It's a David Fincher edgelord. He does these kinds of things sometimes. He does these kinds of things sometimes. I mean, I think Gone Girl is a great movie. I, like I I haven't seen it. I, we will at some point, I will see it. We will at some point. The reason I'm going to also have more of an affection for Fight Club when it happens again is it's a very similar aesthetic. Sure. And I was the same director, same thing. It's also, I think, the reason that I, um, against all judgment, have uh, continually said that Alien 3 is the second best Alien movie. Uh, it's because of this like feel it has. And this feel really works for me. And I will say that there's... Uh, what's the, the way the film ends? Do you remember what the exact quote is? Oh, um, so... The last lines of the movie are the kind of thing that's super on the nose and super cheesy, but because of the context, they work for me. He says, William Somerset, which is um, what uh, Morgan Freeman's character, ends the movie by saying, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. And I agree with the second part, which that's a wonderful line to end a movie on. I love it. I love it so much. And it's such a, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally ridiculous and like cheesy and silly. And I almost feel embarrassed saying I like it a good deal. And I think it's it's in its own way kind of profound. It's not something that hasn't been said before, but it's also something I really appreciate in a movie. 
So we appear to be at odds, Michelle. We do. The question is, are either of us going to use our vetoes this early on? On episode two, are we going to use our vetoes to get either Seven or Paper Moon heading forward? Uh, is there any other Bogdanovich film in this bracket? I don't think so. Isn't, isn't The Last Picture Show not on here? Let me check real quick. Last Picture Show is not here. What's up, Doc's not here. So this is this is this is the one and done, and uh, I definitely know that uh, Gone Girl's on here, Fight Club's on here. Um, Those are both worst movies, though. Is Zodiac on here? Oh, it should be. Nope. No. Well, then, God, that's the fuck. So this is the issue: is that like all the good Fincher movies aren't on here, so I have to like. Game's not here. Panic Room's not here. Social Network. Surprisingly, not. Yeah, that feels like that should be one of them. But I feel like that was on there at some point. Oh man! So this is a weird thing. Here's what I'm gonna say: is that you have a love for Paper Moon. I have an intense like for Seven, and I feel like I'm willing to let your love of Paper Moon win out. And I didn't, I didn't dislike Paper Moon, so I'm gonna let your love of Paper Moon win out over my enjoyment and almost nostalgic edlordness, edgelordness for Seven. (laughs) I appreciate the gesture, but I will say this: I don't think Seven's a bad movie. So this is a weird case. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, but it's like this weird case where it's like we both really liked one of these movies and liked the other one. So, ah. And I, I mean, just if think that you like Paper Moon more than I like Seven. Seven, even like with everything positive I've said, I've said about it, it's only a four-star movie on Letterboxd for me. It's nothing higher than that. And I think I'm, I'm still wanting to keep uh, Paper Moon's perfect score. And movie's like, it's just, it's just like a quilt, like a nice warm quilt. Yeah, see, and I think... See the difference here, Derek, is that I don't own any, I don't own any quilts, and uh, I actually don't like sleeping with anything warm on me at all. I like being cold when I sleep and waking up like I'm freezing. So, ah oh, man, I don't, know. I don't. I mean, I, I I've got to contend with these burly Canadian winners. I need all the quilts I can get my hands on. Do you know that during when I lived in Wisconsin, um, I never turned my heat on all winter. That sounds foolish. <laughs> it, but that's like. That's comfortable for me. This is what, like when we get to the thing, we'll talk about this more because I have a lot of affection for cold and for ice and for snow. That is almost beyond the film itself. And um, seven isn't cold, but it is that same kind Damn. of grimy, like you know, unsettling feel that is comforting for me. But either way, Paper Moon lives to see another day. Hey. Um. So it looks like we finish up these rounds too. Uh, we yeah. finished a little under schedule, even. So so far, some people know. Um. It's Clockwork Orange versus Back to the Future next round, mm-hmm. and Wolf of Wall Street versus Paper Moon next round. Oh, well, not uh, next round, in, in the next round of voting, once we finish all 64 episodes of our first round. Yeah, so tune back in in 2019 when we actually get back to these matchups. Um, but what is our matchup for next week? Well, let's see. Our next, uh, our next matchup, our next matchups, as it were, are Braveheart versus Into the Wild. We get to contend with the specter of Mad Mel and Cinema Paradiso versus Million Dollar Baby. Those are movies. Those are definitely movies, none of which I have seen. Really? I'm I've kind seen, of shocked in that. I've seen none of these. Braveheart seems like it would be up a young the, the alley of a younger you. Here's the thing. When that came out, I was seven, so there's no chance in hell I was seeing that movie. <laughs> I saw that movie when I was seven, goddammit, and I'm still here. Well, I... I I, like I said, whether that's I mean, made me a better person or not, I I would judge <laughs> no, probably. But regardless, I saw it at like a very very young age. Listen, I, I there's a lot of movies that I haven't seen that I should have seen when I was younger. I didn't see Jurassic Park till I was 28. So Jesus, that is yeah. 
the most tragic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I think Jurassic, is Jurassic Park on this list? It's on this list. Thank God. So we will get. To, and it's going up against Vertigo. Now that's that's a Ooh, matchup in the first round. We might, we oh, might see some vetoes there, people. We might see some fighting vetoes there. Ooh, Lord, Vertigo and Jurassic Park. Holy shit! That's that's not fair at all. That's that's disgusting. Um, it's gonna be a while till we get to that. Um, until then, if you want to contact us and tell us why we're wrong, tell or just tell Derek that Seven's actually a really good movie. Um, you can <laughs> let you can let us know. Um, my uh, my Twitter is at Space Jam Fan. What's yours, Derek? Mine is at Derek underscore G. And our podcast has a Twitter. You can find us at Middlebrow Pod. Uh, you can also contact us via email. Uh, our address is middlebrowmadness at gmail.com. Correct. I feel like I should have made those the same to make it easier to remember, eh. but we, we're already here. We're at the place we're at. So Yeah, point of no return has already been crossed. So um, I think that's it. Until Just next have- week. Till until two weeks from now, I'm gonna fuck that up every time, every single time. We're gonna have to make this an every week podcast just so yep. I don't fuck that up. So until two weeks from now, I'm Michelle Arf and I'm Derek Gane. Uh, have movies be merry. Was that it? Wasn't it be jolly? Have movies be, be jo- jolly. Have movies be jolly. Good night, everybody. Good night.